Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. Well, thank you for uh, music, and uh, it's good to be here. Uh, uh, some of you are getting ready and are anticipating the, the Packers game in a little while here, and um, you know, uh, well, you know, depending on who you're talking with, when you tell stories maybe about football, it, it really matters where you're at and who you're talking to, because many of you are Packer fans, and if I tell you a story about Aaron Rodgers, you'd be like, yeah, but some of you in here are, are not. <laughs> You maybe cheer for a team further south uh, along Lake Michigan, and and uh, and you would have a di- very different perspective on 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 those players and the Packer players in particular. And uh, sometimes you have to watch out where you're at. I was uh, when I was in Nebraska, I went over to a friend's house to watch Monday Night Football once. It was uh, the the Eagles against the Cowboys, and we're in Nebraska, and so we're just watching game. I'm not a particular fan of the Cowboys, and so I was making some cheering remark about the Eagles play and. And all of a sudden, there was dead quiet in the room. And, uh, and my good friend said to me, is that going to continue? <laughs> it's like, that's probably not okay. No, we are, we are Cowboy fans here. <laughs> we really have no team. So if you're going to do that, you might as well just leave right now. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Let's change how we uh, describe and talk about things here. Your audience matters, doesn't it? What you're doing and what you're talking about and, and how they're listening to what you say. And uh, it's the same with the gospel, isn't it? As we talk about Jesus and who God is in our lives, uh, where people are coming from, it makes a difference. Today we're going to be looking out of uh, Acts chapter 17, and, and we're going to look at three different stories. Uh, the gospel in three acts, as it were, or three locations, as, it, uh, as it's going to be. And, and we're going to see as Paul goes to these different spots, that as he interacts with people, he's getting varying responses from the people. And, and the message at its core is the same, but how they hear it and sometimes how he presents it makes a difference. If you have your Bibles, if you open to Acts chapter 17, and we'll be starting at verse 1. Um, Paul has been moving with uh, Silas and Timothy and traveling from place to place, and, and uh, they now continue to move in, in the area we, we would know today as Greece having ministered previously in Galatia, an area we would know as Turkey. So chapter 17, verse 1, When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. 
They are all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, May we, know, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own prophets or own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of, all, of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them smeared, sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Well, as we go through these three different episodes, one in Thessalonica, one in Berea, and the other in Athens, we are seeing 
Paul continue to tell people about Jesus. That is his task, to continue to, to bring this message about Jesus. And, and as we see in each of these communities, he has kind of a starting place he goes to. He begins at the synagogue at a place where people know about God, know about the scriptures and, and the things that he can tell them. And w- the message he would be telling them again and again, and it's made clear here, is that, that this Jesus is the Messiah. And we look from the scriptures how the Messiah had to suffer and, and he had to die. And, and this is why the crucifixion happened. And, you know, for us of, uh, those of us who know the story, that is, that seems pretty basic and simple, but as he's explaining this to them, it would have been mind-blowing for those listening to it in those synagogues because he's telling them something that's entirely different from what they expected out of Messiah. Uh, they would have expected Messiah to be the one who, who took over and, and, and removed the, the, the foreign leadership over the land of Israel. But he's saying, no, this had to happen. And he begins talking with them about well, passages they would, they would know from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Scriptures, but maybe weren't lighting in on. Well, a passage maybe like in Isaiah 53, who, who many would have heard spoken again and again, speaking about Messiah. Here's a little bit of what it says in, in Isaiah 53. that uh, In verse 4, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet he, we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And uh, Chapter 53 ends with these words in verse 12. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. We just celebrated communion, didn't we? Uh, All these symbols that we talk about there are, are in the Hebrew Scriptures. And one of the things that Paul is, he's talking to, those who understand and believe these scriptures is it's right there for you. It was always there for us. We didn't think that the Messiah had to suffer and go through the pain that he did, but it was always there. And he tried to help them to see that this was God's plan all along, that when Jesus was crucified, that's how it was supposed to happen. In Thessalonica, as he tells this story, some of the Jews, they wanted nothing to do with it. Not my Messiah. There's no way. That's, in, that's, that's inconceivable that, that the Messiah would have to go through it. No, you're wrong. And there's no way this Jesus could have been it. And, and, but as many people were listening and hearing this, uh, the jealousy came up. And so they began to, well, they began to make connections with some bad characters in town and, and started to say, hey, you know, why don't you, you know, in, in many communities, there, there's those who, who just like to cause trouble, and you give them a little option or a little opening, then, then uh, they'll take that. And uh, the Jewish leaders, some of them, contact these ne'er-do-wells, and they begin to, to, to foment a riot within the midst. And, 
uh, becomes so much so that, that, that Paul and Silas and Timothy, they go into hiding and, and they start looking. There's a mob. There's a riot going on and, and the streets are in turmoil and they're looking and they can't find them. And, and so they, they go to Jason's house and they're not there and they drag them out. And uh, just imagine the dynamics of being drugged through the streets, uh, bouncing over stones and rocks and sand and, and being placed in front of your whole town because of Paul and Silas and Timothy's message, because of Jesus. And, and the message is, these guys are advocating a, a king other than the emperor. This Jesus, that's what they're saying, and they were in turmoil. Uh, the message for many in Thessalonica had become rejected because, well, because of the things that, the, the response that they had. Paul and Silas and Timothy, they take off under the cover of darkness and, and go several miles down the road over to Berea. And they go to the synagogue there too. And they speak a very similar message, possibly even from Isaiah 53 and, and other passages that would talk about the sacrifice that was always there from them to see. For example, in Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham is, is told to, to sacrifice his son, his one and only son, and, and the words in Genesis 22 are so pristine and, and, and tightly connected with the same words we have in descriptions of Jesus as God's one and only son. And you are to sacrifice your one and only son. And, and Abraham goes to the point of raising the knife, and God said, sends an angel, and no, 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 now I know. But the picture of the son being the sacrifice, it was always there. And as the Bereans heard this, they, they had a very different attitude, didn't they? They, they, they listened and, and, and they began to believe, but, but they looked it up and said, well, who's got a scroll of, of Isaiah 53? Let's take a look at that. Or let's, let's take a look at that story. Let's remember that story of, of, of Abraham and, and Isaac in Genesis 22. And, and, and they would look and examine and to see if this was so. Is this really what it says? Uh, and, and, and Luke, as he writes this, gives us uh, this description of the nobleness of the Bereans as they look at that. What's the difference? It's the same message, isn't it? And yet we can go to place to place and in different communities the gospel is heartily received and endorsed and in other places it finds rejection and opposition. And that's just part of this world. How do we know how that happens? Sometimes we don't. Is there spiritual oppression that's happening? Quite likely there is and there's things we need to pray for. My wife talks often about uh, her her folks being missionaries in Thailand. And for years and years, they had a difficult time trying to bring the gospel to, to that country. But over the last 10 years or so, it has exploded. Uh, the, the hard work over decades and decade, decades of ministry are seeing a fruit now in people coming to faith in Jesus. Why did it take so long? We don't know, but it did. And that's part of speaking the gospel, of sharing our faith. Sometimes we're going to have great success with it. Sometimes it's going to be trudging and we're going to face opposition. But we do it nevertheless. We continue to bring the message. We look for opportunities that people may come to know. And so we see in Thessalonica and Berea, again, 
starting at the, the, the similar places, going to the synagogue, talking with people who might have some kind of spiritual interest and, and connection and begin to speak with them. This is who God is and this was what God's plan was and this is how we can be rescued and saved because the Messiah has come in our world and our community. So we send and tell a similar message. Jesus loves you. Jesus cares for you. He died for you. Again, we remember these in the elements of communion on a monthly basis. This is what it's all about. Well, the, the agitators in Thessalonica, they heard about Berea and sent some more agitators down, uh, down the way. And, and uh, in that kind of conflict and tension, uh, uh, they send Paul off and they send him instead of west towards uh, Towards Rome, they send him south towards Athens, and he gets on a boat and ends up in Athens. And, and, and as he's in Athens waiting for Silas and Timothy to get there, the, undoubtedly doing a little work to shore up the ministry in, in Berea, uh, he's walking around town. And, and if you were here in the summer and were down in the fellowship hall, hall at all, you saw emblazoned across the, uh, the back of the room this big relief of the city of Athens from, from biblical times. And, and the temples that were there and that filled the, the, the city. And, and Paul, as he's walking around, he's, he's seeing all these different idols and, and things that people are praying to and sacrificing to. And, and the, the texts give you the sense that he was just disgusted with it. It's like, oh, look at all these things. They're, they're distracting and deceiving people from the true God. And, 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 and so he begins conversation with them about life and faith. But what it seems to indicate in the story is that he took all that distress and disgust, maybe, and, and channeled it into trying to make a positive connection into having the conversation with them. You know, I think as we look at our world and we look at and listen to what some people find important or what they invest their time and lives into, and many of us like sports and like watching them, uh, but there's some who it's obsessive for them and, and they will spend thousands and thousands of dollars, maybe money that their, their family really can't afford on, on buying clothing and tickets to games that, that at some point hurt them because, oh, they're so devoted and it's almost like this has become a God to them. Uh, we see different people and, and addictions that have become so strong in their lives. And, and, and part of it's like, you missed something huge here. And it can disgust us sometimes. It can distress us. Why? Why are they so deceived? What I think Paul gives us is an opportunity to say, what can we do with this? Because as he looks around and he's brought and he's talking to people about Jesus and the resurrection, and many are saying, well, this is, this is interesting. He's talking with Epic and, and, uh, Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, and, and uh, they have kind of two, two wide ranges of what they believe in terms of, of, of God and man and, and the body. Um, but, but for each of them, they're, they're listening, and, and uh, they have some responses. Uh, some is like, where is this uneducated guy, this babbler? What is he talking about? And others are suggesting, well, he seems to be advocating foreign gods, which is important because in this city, 
uh, a man named Socrates, who was a philosopher, was accused of trying to bring foreign gods within to the community. And for that, he was put to death. And so uh, Luke adds that detail in there, meaning that there's maybe a little bit of threat in the background of this. He goes before the council of the town, the Areopagus, and says, tell us about what you're talking about. This is interesting to us. And Luke has a little commentary, doesn't he? Like, uh, you know, that's what they wanted. They all day, they just talk about, uh, and, you know, they just like to listen to ideas. And, and he tells them, you know, you got this idol. And there was one of the statues. It was kind of one of those statues you I mean, you look at it, it's like, okay, they're just trying to cover all their bases, right? You know, we have, you know, we've got, we've got uh, Zeus, and we've got Athena. And like, well, there, maybe there's one out there we don't know. So there's one for the unknown God. And, and he takes that and says, let me tell you about this one that's unknown to you. This is the God of all. And he takes this bridge, or makes a bridge from that to talk about Yahweh to talk about the God of the Israelites, the God of Jesus, the, the, the Father who created all things and begins to make the connection to who Jesus was and what he did on our behalf and, and how Jesus overcomes it. He said, you know, the, the idols that we had, Jesus or God overlooked those for some time, but now it's time for the reckoning to deal with the truth that this is the God of all and you must come to know him and, and, and come into faith in him. And says the response that many people came to believe in him. Uh, many were wanting to hear more about it. And at that point, Paul's like, okay, uh, you, you are a bunch of babblers and talkers. And so he left. But several people come to faith. And, and I think that instructive for us in, in each of these different places is that Paul brings a message. But he understands a little bit what's going on. He gets out when the, the opposition gets too strong. Um, but still communicates truth. In this particular locale, there's really no scriptures that are referenced here. And certainly there's a biblical backdrop to all the things that he's saying, but he starts from where they're at. As we live our faith, as we speak of our faith, we're going to come into different places and different backgrounds of people. Some are going to know about Bibles and know about what the scriptures say. Maybe they went to Sunday school when they were younger or Awana or, or something like that. Maybe they had a catechism class in their background and there's connecting points that they have. But many have no clue what the Bible really says. They may have some ideas of what they think it says. And as we speak to people of our faith, of this most important thing that we celebrate monthly, of what God did on our behalf, Bringing our message to people begins with knowing them and who they are and where they're at. And trying to make that bridge and connection to be able to get to terms and concepts that they can understand and appreciate. We stay with the solid message of who Jesus was and our foundation is Scripture always, even if we don't use it specifically. But we try and make the connection with different people. In your world, you have friends, you have family members who, who do not yet know. How do we express this most important story to them? It takes work, doesn't it? Paul, looking around, understood different strokes for different folks that where people come from 
that makes a difference. How I tell them is important. But the basis of it all is the love that we've known from God and, and the love that we have for others. Let me finish with the final story. There was a a rich Dutch merchant, and he was seeking to buy a diamond of a certain kind to add to his collection. And there was a, a famous dealer in New York who found such a stone and called him to see it. So the merchant flew immediately to New York, where the seller had assigned his best diamond expert to close the transaction. After hearing the assistant describe in perfect technical detail the diamond's worth and beauty, the Dutchman decided not to buy it. Before he left, however, the owner of the store stepped forward and asked, do you mind if I show you that stone just once more? Uh, the customer agreed, and so the store owner didn't repeat one thing that the salesman had said. He simply took the stone and stared at it and described the beauty of the stone in a way that revealed why this stone stood out from all the others that he'd ever seen in his life. And the customer bought it immediately. And tucking his new purchase into his breast pocket, the customer commented to the owner, you know, I wonder why you were able to sell me this stone when your salesman could not. The owner replied, well, that salesman is the best in the business. He knows more about diamonds than anyone, including myself, and I pay him a large salary for his knowledge and expertise. But I would gladly pay him twice as much if I could put something into him which he lacks. You see, he knows diamonds, but I love them. In our life, we know God and love him. And sharing our faith with others is not sharing just the facts and details about what he's done, but the love that we've had, the connection that he's made to us. For Paul so much so that he goes on the road, endures all kinds of things. Why? Because what God did for him is astounding as it is for us. This message matters. It matters. And letting others know that God loves them and has a rescue plan for them from a Christless eternity, from separation from God forever, from pe to peace in this world, forgiveness from sins. That's our message. And to be able to look at others and to, to say, this is the God I love. And he loves me. And he loves you so much that he sent his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, this morning we, we are choosing to remember you. Who you are, what you've done. Your work done on the cross for us. Your resurrection done to lead us back and to give us this life. Spirit of God, guide us and direct us. And as we live this life, may we take this love that we've received and express it and tell others about you. May we be so filled with your love that it overflows into our conversations with others.
guide us, direct us, embolden us, and humble us. I pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless you this day. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.